Alright, well we're there in Genesis chapter number 37, and we really begin the life of Joseph and the story of Joseph here. And I'd like you to look down at verse number 1, and let's just get a little introduction into this young man Joseph. The Bible says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now, if you remember as we were going through the life of Jacob, that's a good sign there. Do you remember that Jacob was a pilgrim, and he was going back and forth, and he was living in Shechem, and doing all those things? Well, now the Bible says he's in, he's in uh, Hebron, and, and he's doing great things there, so praise the Lord for that. If you look at verse 2, the Bible says, These are the generations of Jacob... Joseph, and look at this, being 17 years old. Joseph was a, what we would call today a teenager. Joseph was a uh, young man. Let me say this, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but Joseph, we're going to learn about Joseph, that Joseph was a great man of God, even at 17 years old. And you know, uh, we do ourselves a disservice, and, and the kids that are here, you ought to listen up to this, and you parents ought to listen up to this. You know, we as teenagers, we, or as Americans, we've uh, classified a certain age group as teenagers. Now the Bible says he was 17, because that was his age, but you will never find this terminology in the Bible. Teenager. It's not found. Now, in our society today, a teenager is like, not quite an adult, not quite in the, uh, a child, just kind of in the middle. But you know, in the Bible, you will never find that concept. You will never find someone referred to as a teenager. In the Bible, you find this, a child, and then a teenager, they're just referred to as a young man. You know, in the Bible, there's no such thing as a teenager. Because think about what a teenager is. You know, a teenager is... Someone who has the you know the body of an adult, the abilities of an adult to do the things that an adult can do without the responsibility. You think God is for that? You know, and, and oftentimes we we give teenagers a pass. Oh, well, they can't serve God. They can't do. This. Well, in the Bible, you know, there, there's no teen. It's just a young man. You know, and, and it would be good for us if we got back, you know, and stopped raising these 13-year-old boys, young men, who ought to be, you know, stepping up and, and doing right and living for God and working hard, you know, and, and doing those things, you know. We ought to stop treating them like children, start treating them like men. Because that's what the Bible says. And here we find this 17-year-old boy, 17-year-old man, and you'll see as we go through the life of Joseph, Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And what that means is a lot of things that happened to Joseph or that Joseph went through or characteristics of Joseph are actually like a picture of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in this passage, but we'll see that throughout his entire life. And the Bible says in verse 2, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah. Now if you remember, Jacob had four wives. He had Leah, he had Rachel, he had Zilpah and uh, Bilhah, and he had Zilpah, and he had children with all of them. So Joseph was learning the trade, Jacob's trade, of uh, being with the, with the herd there. And he was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah. This would be Dan and Naphtali and uh, Gad and Asher. And the Bible says uh, he was with uh, the sons of Bilhah and the wives of, of uh, and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph, look at the last part of verse number 2. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, I've often heard this said about Joseph, which I don't believe is true. People will say, oh, Joseph was just like this little, uh, you know, daddy's boy. And he was like a snitch, you know. He came and brought their evil report. But, you know, the Bible doesn't cast that in a bad light. And uh, if, if you actually look down at verse number uh, 14 in the same chapter... You'll see here, I don't believe that Joseph was just trying to get his brothers in trouble. 
And as you, as you, as we go through the passages, and as we go in the next few weeks in the life of Joseph, you're going to learn to love Joseph. Joseph, a, he's not a perfect man, but he did a lot of great things. He was a great man, and I just—it's not in his character. You don't see that the type of guy who's just coming. Let me tell you what my brothers did. You know, if you look at verse 13, you'll see uh, Jacob giving a charge to Joseph, and he says in verse 13, "And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come and look what he says, and I will send thee unto them." And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, well with the flocks, bring me word again. So he sent them out uh, to the Vale of Hebron. So you see there, that more than likely, Jacob was asking Joseph, How are things going? And it actually shows us a bit of this 17-year-old's character, to not just, you know, cover for his older brothers, and to just tell the truth and say, you know, this was happening. And the Bible says he brought unto his fathers their evil report. Look at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, it's interesting in verse 3, this is not a good thing. You know, the Bible teaches against, and, and, and you know, as parents we ought never have favorites. But it's interesting how these same characteristics and these same sins keep coming up. Do you remember Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael? And he favored Isaac and rejected Ishmael. Now that wasn't a good thing, but he did it. And then you remember Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And he favored Esau, and his wife favored Isaac. And now, Isaac has children, and he favors Joseph, who's the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. And the Bible says in verse 3, he loved Joseph more than all his children. That's not a good thing, but that's how it worked out. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now this coat that he gave him, and we've maybe all heard the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. Jacob gave Joseph this coat, and this coat singled out Joseph. When he put it on, it showed that Joseph was the, the, the loved one of Jacob, but it probably, and it's not the text, but I would imagine that it probably meant Joseph, uh, Jacob was choosing Joseph to be his heir. To, you know, to bypass the other brothers. And we understand, if you remember, if you've been with us a few weeks before, Reuben, you know, uh, did a horrible act with one of his, uh, his father's wives, and, and that would maybe cause Jacob to not want to have Reuben, his elder son, as the heir. And Jacob was probably grooming Joseph, and... and identifying Joseph as he's going to be the next leader. He's going to be the next, uh, the one who's going to inherit everything and, and be the boss. And he was doing this. And that quote there identified him. And I want you to just see a few things here. Uh, you know, uh, a few pictures of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and I don't have time to go through all the passages, so I'm not going to do it, but you can study it on your own. The Bible says that we are, that, that when we got saved, we got born again to the family of God, and we are brethren with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you, that Jesus is our spiritual brother, because God the Father is our Heavenly Father. But here's what you got to understand. Jesus is the favored son, because He's the only begotten son. See, we were adopted children. We were adopted into the family of God. But the Bible says, and actually, let's just look at it. John, Go with me to John 3.16. Very, very good... Uh, uh, famous chapter or verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says this. Look at what it says. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, if you look down, look at John 3.16. Go back to John chapter number 1. Look at verse number 12. John chapter number 1. And look at verse number 12. The Bible says this. John chapter number 1 and verse 12. It says, But as many as received Him, talking about Jesus Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So the Bible says that God, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gave you the power to become the Son of God, okay? So when you got saved, you became a child of God. You became, uh, 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 you know, adopted into the family of God. But I want you to understand this. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That word begotten, it means that He came from Him. He came from His loins. He begat Him. Okay, does that make sense? My children are my physical children. I, they came from me and my wife. If I adopt a child, he's just as much my child or she's just as much my child as my other children are, but they're, they're not my begotten children. Does that make sense? The Bible says when you got saved, God gave you the power to become the sons of God. He adopted you into the family of God. The Bible says that we were in Romans and everybody says we were adopted into his family and we became a child of God. But the Bible says in John 3.16 that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son. Does that make sense? Now, let me show you this. And I know this was in the, in, the, in the New International Version, but I want to show it to you in the New King James. I didn't even know that there was a New King I just took a guess and I happened to be right. But the New International Version of the Bible uh, is one of the most widely used versions of the Bible. And let me read for you what the Bible says in John 3.16 in, in, the, in the NIV. You read down, you grab your King James Bible, and you look at John 3.16... You read in your King James as I read the NIV. And let me see, and I'd like you to see if you can tell, if you can see a difference. John 3.16, in the New International Version, the Bible says, in John 3.16, it says, it's hard to find the verses because they try to hide them. John 3.16, alright, so you read in your King James as I read on, on uh, John 3.16 on the NIV. For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son, and whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Did you catch the difference? Did anybody catch the difference? Let me read it again. You read your King James. For, the King James says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The NIV says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Did you catch the difference? The New International Version of the Bible says that Jesus, that, that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God. Now let me ask you a question. Is that true? No. So this thing's lying. See, you know, at Verity Baptist Church, we believe the King James Version of the Bible is the perfect, inspired Word of God without error. But these new versions of the Bible, or I like to call them new perversions of the Bible, are just a bunch of trash. These, these versions of the Bible are lying and changing doctrine. And according to the NIV, you're not saved. Because Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. But is that what the Bible says? The Bible doesn't say that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God. Because when you got saved, when I got saved, the Bible says, herein, you know, uh, it says that we are now the sons of God. Multiple times in the Scripture says that we are the children of God. The Bible says that you became the Son of God when 
But Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son. That's what the King James Bible says. The NIV says He's the one and only Son. Let me read for you out of the New King James. You say, well, can I read the New King James? Is the New, the New King James kind of like the King James, right? Well, let, let's see. You read your King James Bible. I'll read out of this New King James Bible. And let's see if it says anything different. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in the name should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, that one, and I was wrong there, I guess. I thought this one was uh, going to say it different. But that one said it the same way. For God so loved the world. I must have been looking at different, different passage here. What was the passage I wanted to show you out of the King James, New King James? Hmm. I must have wrote it down wrong. Well, I'll have to bring it back to you. What was that? Hmm. I must have wrote it down in my notes wrong. Well, I'll owe you that one. I'll get you a good passage out of the New King James. We preach entire sermons out of it, so if you want the sermon, I can give it to you. But I must have just wrote down the wrong passage. That must have been the one I wanted to show you. But the point I'm trying to show you is this. Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son. Now, we're all the children of God, but He's the favored Son. And in that same way, you can go back to Genesis uh, 37. In that same way, Joseph was the favored Son. Now, he had other sons in the flesh, but he was a favored Son of, of Jacob. So we see there a similarity uh, to uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, look down at verse number 5. The Bible says, And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told the, his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. So I want you to see here that the Bible says that they already didn't like him. Because he was loved of their father. But it says that he dreamed a dream. And his brethren hated him yet the more. Look at verse 6. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream, which I have dreamed. So he says, let me tell you about my dream. Verse 7, he talks about the dream. Look what it says. He says, For behold... We were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. So, here's what he's saying. He said, I had this dream. We were on the field. And he said, we had these sheaves, you know, which represent uh, food and the economy of the world. And he says, my sheaf stood upright, and your sheaf made obeisance. They bowed down to my sheaf. Look at their response. Verse number 8. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Look at verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him. And said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee and to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. So you've got to see there, he had these dreams. The first dream, all his sheep stood upright, all their sheep bowed down to him. The second dream, the, you know, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to him. And his dad even rebukes him and said, You think that your father and your mother and, and your brothers, your older brothers, were all going to bow down to you? He said, you know, what, what is this dream that you're having? And they kind of rebuke him, and they mock him, and they make fun of him. But here's what you've got to understand. Joseph's dream, and, and I think hopefully all of you are familiar with the story of Joseph, but if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, at the end of, towards the end of Joseph's life, 
Joseph's going to go through a lot of struggles, a lot of heartaches, a lot of tribulations. But at the end of Joseph's life, he's going to end up being the second most powerful man in the nation of Egypt, which at this time was the most powerful country in the world. And his brethren will literally come to him and bow to him, not knowing that it's Joseph. And, we, and the Bible says that he dreamt this dream, but here's what you've got to understand about his dream. Joseph's dream was not so much his dream as in, oh, one day I'm going to be the leader of the free world. That wasn't his dream. His dream was more God allowing him to see what God had planned for him. God's plan for Joseph was revealed to Joseph in a dream. Joseph wasn't saying, I'd like to be the next president of the United States. I'd like to be the next CEO of this country. I'd like, he, wasn't, he was just allowed a glimpse. He, brought, he may have not even understood. Now his brethren got it. You know, as soon as they heard it, they're like, oh, are we going to bow down to you? You know, are we going to be, uh, are you going to indeed reign over us? But he was just allowed to see a glimpse into the future of what God had planned for him. Go with me to Romans chapter number 8. In your New Testament, Romans chapter number 8. I've been looking at a lot of passages in Romans 8 lately. I'm not doing it on purpose, it's just, they're great passages. But look at Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number 29. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that God has a purpose that God has a will, that God has something for you to do? And if you believe that, let me ask you this. Can you see it like Joseph can see it? Have you dreamed it like Joseph can, has dreamt it? I told you to go to Romans chapter number 8, but before we go there, actually, go with me to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. Just go back in your Bibles to the book of Acts right before the book of Romans. Acts chapter number 2, look at verse number 16. Acts chapter number 2 and look at verse number 16. If you remember, this is the day of Pentecost, and we preach a lot about the day of Pentecost. If you're interested in what we believe about the day of Pentecost, I, uh, let me know. Uh, we got a CD. Just last Sunday morning, we preached a sermon on the, the Holy Spirit. And we must have looked at over 100 references on the Holy Spirit in, in the Bible. And if you're interested in that, uh, let me know, and we'll get that for you. But here towards the end of the day of Pentecost, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2 and verse 16, the Bible says this. But this, Peter's talking, and he's letting them know what, what's going on. And he says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You know, the Bible says that in the New Testament, for the New Testament believer... That we will be allowed by God to see visions and to dream dreams. And I'm not necessarily asking, have, have you had this, uh, you know, encounter with God where you saw God and you did I'm not asking that, but I am asking this. Do you have a vision? Do you have a dream? Do you have a goal? Where do you see, you know, we're coming up on our one year anniversary here at Verity Baptist Church. And I'd just like to ask you this question. One year from now, when we're celebrating our two year anniversary, where do you see yourself in your Christian life? Where do you see yourself spiritually? I didn't say financially. I didn't say, well, I see myself in a nicer car, in a bigger house, with a better job. Great. Praise the Lord for it. But where do you see yourself spiritually? Where do you see yourself, uh, you know, in, in your maturity level? Because the point of the Christian life is to grow. It's to mature. It's to get better. It's to get stronger. Not to stay still or slide back. 
Look at Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number 29. Romans 8, 29. I'd like you to know that God has a will for your life. Just like at 17 years old, God already had foretold that Joseph would be one of the greatest, most powerful men on earth, and his brethren and his father would bow down to him. God has a plan for you. Look at Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number 29. You say, what is God's will for my life? Let me show you. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. See, God foreknew you. And He predestinated you. He said, what did He predestinate me? He says, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know what that word conform means? It means, you see that the word, the word that's in it is form. The word conform means to be molded. You know, you ladies, when you start, when you come to that ladies' activity and you and you make your own uh, apron, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna have a piece of material, and you're gonna have a pattern, and you're gonna have to use that pattern and make and use that as a mold, if you will, to make that apron look like that pattern. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our pattern. Jesus Christ is our standard. And God has His will for your life. He's predestinated you. He's, he foreknew you and He predestinated you. He said to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. So this is what God's will is for your life. When God looks down at your life, He wants you to look as much like Jesus Christ as possible. Now we're not talking about physically looking like Jesus Christ. We're saying in the way you act, in the way you live, in the way you carry yourself. God wants to look down at you and say, Man, that person right there, they remind me so much of Jesus Christ. And you know, there are things in my life and there are things in your life that are not Christ-like. You know, there are things you say, things you look at and things you listen to and, and, and things you think and, and, and things we do that are not things that Jesus Christ would do. And you say, uh, does God want me to do those things? Not you know, If Jesus wouldn't do it, God doesn't want you to do it. Because His will for your life is to be conformed to the pattern of His Son. Go me to Romans chapter number 12. Look at verse 1. Romans chapter number 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, accept unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed. Isn't it funny how we're using that word again? Be not conformed, look what it says, to this world. So see, if you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to be conformed to this world and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the will of God, right? We saw that. That's what He predestinated you for. Then you're going to have to be not conformed to this world. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Which we, which we just read. What's the will of God for your life? To be conformed to the image of the Son. Do you have that goal? Do you see that? Do you see yourself... Next year, being more like Christ than you are today? Do you see yourself ten years from now being more Christ-like, being more godly, being, you know, knowing more Bible, and being more righteous, and being more spiritual? Because that's God's will. 
And we ought to learn to dream the same way Joseph was able to look and catch a glimpse of his future. Well, I don't have that gift. I don't have that ability. God hasn't let me allow to see what my future holds. Well, He has let you see it in the Bible because whatever God's will for your life, whatever happens in your life, His will is that you become closer to the image of His Son. And the Bible says when we get resurrected at the rapture, or when we get raptured up, we shall see Him and we shall be like Him. For we shall, you know, because we're going to be transformed into His image. And when you finally get your glorified body, you will be exactly like Jesus. But until then, we ought to be working on just becoming more like Jesus every day. More like Jesus every day. More like Jesus every day. Do you see that? Do you see that dream? Go back with me to Genesis 37. Do you have that dream? Do you have that vision to see? Your life be more Christ-like? I won't have you turn there, but you remember when we were preaching in the book of Acts, and we, got, we learned there about the church of Antioch, and it says they were first called Christians. We talk about that word Christians there. It, it literally means little Christ. It, they, they looked at those people there, those believers at the church of Antioch, and they, and they were mocking them. They were saying, you know, those people, they're a bunch of... Little Christ. They're a bunch of Christians. You know what they were saying? They were saying, they act like Jesus Christ. They look like Jesus. They have the attitude of Jesus Christ. They, they're just, and, and they were using it as a mocking. They were saying, well, those Christians. Yeah, that's good. Praise the Lord. Yeah, have you ever been accused of being a Christian? Has anybody ever said, man, you know, are you a Christian? I'm not saying you told them you're a Christian. You know, it's like we were preaching about James chapter number 2. Oh, I got faith, I have faith, I have faith. But no one ever sees that. You know, it doesn't profit anything. You've just been accused. Somebody just, you know, people walk up to me and say, I've literally had people walk up to me and say, you're weird, are you a Christian? Hey, guilty as charged. Hey, praise the Lord. Because that's the, that's the will that God has for your life. But see, it's not easy. Look at verse number 12. Genesis 37, look at verse number 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Do you remember Shechem is where they had that massacre and they killed all those men? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to him, Here am I. Here's another picture of Jesus, uh, Joseph as Jesus Christ. Do you remember that God the Father sent Jesus Christ? The Bible says he sent them unto his own. And his own received them not. Look at verse 14. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee. See whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with thy flock, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren, and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You know that they saw Joseph coming, and the enemy? Here's what they said. Notice the last phrase of verse 20. We're going to do something to Joseph, and we shall see what will become of his dream. You know what they were saying? They were saying, Joseph has a dream. Joseph has a vision. Joseph has been able to see God's will for his life. But we're going to attempt to do something to stop that. 
We're going to slay him. We're going to kill him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. You know that God has a will for your life. God has a dream for your life. And there is somebody who's trying to stop that will right now. Somebody, you're trying, to, you're trying to get right with God. You're trying to do right. And, and I'm telling you right now, you better be ready for the fight. Because the moment you decide, I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to get saved. I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to start living for God. I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start doing right. The moment you start setting up for that will, for that dream, there will be somebody who's going to say, Oh, right? oh yeah? We'll see what's going to become of those dreams. I'm telling you right now. You better be ready for it. They said, Oh, yeah? Joseph? We're all going to bow to you, huh? We'll see what's going to become of those dreams. And they said, we're going to slay you, and we're going to kill you. Look at verse 21. And Reuben heard it. And he delivered them out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, and this is that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Now here's what's interesting. Reuben is the older son, the oldest son. And it's interesting because Reuben does not want to kill Joseph. But he doesn't want to come out and just say, no, this is wrong. You see what's happening? He's like, no, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit. And the Bible says he was planning on coming back and taking him out of the pit and giving him back to his son. So Reuben didn't want to kill him. But he also didn't want to stand up to the, the, the brothers who wanted to kill him and say, no, this is wrong, we ought not do it. Just another picture of Jesus Christ. You remember when they brought Jesus to Pilate? And Pilate, the Bible says, did not want to kill Jesus. And he kept trying to get him free and set him free, but he didn't want to stand up to the Jews. You remember he washed his hands and he said, you know, this isn't, I'm not doing this, you know, I'm being forced to do it. You know, Reuben and Pilate both should have stood up and said, no, this is wrong, I find no fault in him. But Pilate was unwilling to go against the crowd in the same way Reuben's unwilling to go against the crowd. Isn't that amazing how many pictures there are of Jesus Christ with Joseph? Look at verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. Remember they took the coat of Jesus? He stripped him out of his coat. I'm sorry, uh, verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Here's another picture of Jesus Christ. They said, hey, you know what? Let's not us kill him. Let's deliver him to another people and have them kill him. Let's have them do our dirty work. Do you remember the Jews took Jesus to who? The Romans. Had the Romans put, kill Jesus? Now the Bible says that the, Jesus, that the Jews killed Jesus. But they had the Roman, They delivered him unto the Romans. Just like Joseph. Look at verse 28. Then there passed by Midianites and merchant men, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into, Jesus, uh, into Egypt. Do you remember that Judas sold Jesus for thirty pieces of silver? Same way Joseph was sold for twenty pieces of silver. And there's a reason for that. There's different, in Leviticus, there's different costs for different age groups. But he was sold for money. Look at verse 29. And Reuben returned into the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. 
And he rent his clothes and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? So, so he's like repenting now. Saying, what happened? He comes to the pit and he's gone. And he's like, oh no, he's dead. What? You know, and he's renting his clothes. And he, and he returned to, to his brethren and he said, The child is not, and whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. You know, Reuben comes back and now he feels bad for what happened. Do you remember Judas? After they sold Jesus? Hung himself because he felt bad that he'd betrayed innocent blood? And then the Bible says in verse 30, and he, and he returned to his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the coat and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Now Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and he said, It is my son's coat. And evil beasts have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And this is what they did. They lied about his death. And do you remember Jesus Christ when he rose from the grave? Do you remember that the Jews went to the authority there and they said, tell the people that his disciples came and they took him. They, they lied to conceal his death. Same thing with Joseph. They were lying about what really happened. But look at verse number, go, go to Genesis chapter number 42. Look at verse number 21. Genesis chapter number 42, look at verse number 21. Later on when his Brothers are getting payback for what they did to Joseph. Notice what they said in verse 21 of chapter 42. The Bible says, And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw, look what it says, We saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is his distress come upon us. You know what they're saying? They're saying, Man, we're, getting, we're reaping what we sowed. We're getting paid back. And here's the amazing thing. He said, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. I mean, could you imagine? I don't know about you, but could you imagine being a 17-year-old kid cast into a pit and you're hearing your brothers talking about killing you? You're listening to your brothers talk about, you know, well, we shouldn't kill him. Let's tell him to these Israelites. And, and they bring him up. And I can just imagine Joseph, you know, and the Bible tells us here that they saw the anguish of his soul. I mean, the look on his face, the, the, the disgust in his face, and just thinking, about, what are you guys doing? I mean, I know, I know you don't like me. I know you don't want to be, have anything to do with me. But you're really going to kill me? You're really going to sell me? And I just imagine as they were doing the transaction, maybe he was crying and he was weeping and he was asking his brother, he said, please don't do it. I want to go back home and I want to see my dad and I want to see my mom and I want to be with my family and I want to be with them. I don't want to go to Egypt. And they said, we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. See, here's what you got to understand. Go back to Genesis 37. Do you remember the statement that they made in verse 20? We shall see what will become of his dreams. Here, here's what you got to understand. Joseph's life gets worse from here, not better. Joseph went into the pit. From the pit, he sold into slavery to Potiphar's house. At Potiphar's house, he's lied about, and he's cast into prison, and he spends 20 years of his life in prison or in slavery. But here's what you got to understand. It was all part of God's plan. From that moment, Joseph would have never become the leader of Egypt if he never came to Egypt. Joseph would have never came to Egypt if he would have been sold into slavery to the Egyptians. Joseph would have never met the, the, the man who brought him out of, you know, into 
the palace there with the Pharaoh if he wouldn't have been in prison. Everything that happened to Joseph happened to him because God wanted it to happen. And these men, these evil men, they stood up and they said, we're going to do evil to this young man. We're going to slay him. No, we're going to sell him in slavery and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And here's what you got to understand. God has a will for your life. God has a dream for your life. God has something He wants you to do. And there will be people who will hurt you, who will betray you, who will who will talk bad about you, who are going to try to hurt you and murder you and kill you and spiritually stop you. And they're doing it and they're saying what will become of their dreams. But you got to understand, all of those things are set by God and predestinated by God. And they're actually putting God's dreams into motion. They're not stopping Joseph had to go to slavery. Joseph had to go to prison. Joseph had to go there. And so often, we ask God to get us out of trouble when all God wants is to go through us, with us through the trouble. See, so often we're asking God, God, I don't want to go into slavery. I don't want to go to prison. But God, that's exactly where He wants you, Joseph. And we ought to get this attitude and stop asking God to get us out of trouble. We should be asking Him to just go with us through the trouble. Because they said, we shall see what will become of his dreams. They're thinking, we're going to stop this. But really, they were initiating. I'm sure Satan, as he watched the Lord Jesus Christ be taken up Mount Calvary, and as he watched him be nailed on that cross, and as he watched Jesus Christ die on that cross and give up the ghost, and as he died, I'm sure Satan thought to himself, yeah, we shall see what will become of his dreams. But here's what Satan didn't know. It looked bad for Jesus. But he didn't know that three days later he was going to resurrect from the grave. And he actually helped fulfill the will of God. And these men, they didn't know when they were selling their brother, they were actually helping fulfill the will of God. But here's what you got to understand. Here's what you got to understand. God's dreams, God's will for your life, may cost you a great hurt. Are you still willing to do it? Joseph spent 20 years of his life in slavery and in prison. But that's exactly where God wanted him. And they cost him a great hurt. Would you say to God, God, I want to fulfill your will for my life, even if it means slavery? Would you say that? Even if it means prison? Would you say that? Even if it means leaving my family, leaving my dad, not seeing my family, my friends and everybody I know, going into a foreign land uh, and and being alone and and being scared and being lied about and going through struggles, you know, would you say that? Because as he was leaving, as he was being taken, he was wailing and he was crying and he was besetting them and he was saying, please don't do this. He was asking them not to do it. It caused him great hurt, but it was God's will. Look at verse number 29. Genesis 37. We're almost done. Verse number 29. Actually, just skip down to verse number 33. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. This is Jacob speaking. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins. And mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning, 
Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. Not only is the will of God going to cost you something, here's, here's what you got to understand. When you start on this traveling, you know, down the path of the will of God, you've got to understand, it's going to cost you something, but it's going to cost others something too. Are you willing to hurt others for the will of God? Jacob was told that his most loved son was dead and did not see him for the next 20 years. The Bible says he wept so sore. The rest of the brethren tried to comfort him and he would not be comforted. He was deeply hurt. But here's what you got to understand. This was God's will. If God's will for your life means it hurts others, would you be willing to do it? You know, if my, if my sons grew up to be missionaries, and that was God's will for their life, that might hurt my wife, that might hurt me. They might go off to a foreign land and I might not get to see them as much as I'd like to. I may not get to see them at all. But if that's God's will, it's okay. Oftentimes, what will stop us from following God is not necessarily when it hurts us, but when we know it's hurting others. You've got some friends, and you know those friends are keeping you from conforming to the will of God. And you say, it's time to cut those friends, but you're going to hurt those friends. Are you willing to do that? Jacob was hurt. Joseph was hurt. His brethren were doing these horrible things, but it was exactly what God had planned. Because it's not so much of asking God to take us out of trouble. It's of making sure God is with us through the troubles. We all have dreams. I hope you have dreams. But before you say, yeah, I have a dream, man, I want to be a soul winner. I want to live for God. you got to understand, it's, there's a cost to serve Jesus. There's a cost to serve Jesus. We were talking about this morning. Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac. There's a cost to serving Jesus. I'm, let me just ask you this question. Are you ready to pay the cost? Are you ready to pay the cost to serve Jesus Christ? Because at this point in Joseph's life, I, I can only imagine what a 17-year-old is thinking as he's traveling down into Egypt. Probably the loneliest he's ever been, the most alone he's ever been, the most depressed he's ever been, the saddest he's ever been. And you think to yourself, this is the will of God for my life, but that's the first step in the will of God for his life. And at the end of his life, he's going to end up being a great man of God, but it started right here. But you know what's so great about Joseph that you'll get to, as you get to know Joseph, you'll see more and more? It's this. Joseph found strength in his sorrow. God brings sorrow into our life because He's trying to conform you into the image of God. You remember when we read that? The Bible says in Isaiah that Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. So if you're going to be like Jesus Christ, you're going to have to go through some sorrows. And God was just trying to conform him into the image of his mind. But here's the thing. When sorrow comes into your life, when trouble comes into your life, when opposition comes into your life, you have the option of getting bitter, you got the option of quitting, or you can just find strength in your sorrow. Never in the passage where you find Joseph cursing God, talking bad about God. He's always just on the good side of God. But because this young man, 17-year-old man, learned one thing, to find strength out of his sorrows, and to be able to serve God and follow God's will. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father.
Lord, thank you so much for this sermon, Lord. And really, this is just kind of an introductory sermon as we lead into the life of Joseph in the next few weeks. But Father, I pray you'd help all of us to just be encouraged by Joseph. And Lord, just be encouraged by the fact that when others think they're defeating us, they really might just be initiating your will. I'm sure the devil thought he was defeating Jesus on the cross, and he must have just been surprised when he rose from the grave and realized that that was your will all along. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ would bring salvation to all of us. Lord, help us to not get discouraged. When sorrows come in our life, to be able to see, you know, someone betrayed me, someone hurt me, someone lied about me, someone hated me without a cause, but it's okay. God's in control, and this might just be the first step in the will of God. Lord, help us to just be attempting to be conformed to your will. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray.